Hello, hello. This is Kim Addis from Frame of Mind Coaching, and you have just joined us at the Frame of Mind Coaching Podcast, and it is my absolute delight to introduce to you my co-host today. Her name is Dana Treffler. Dana is a certified Frame of Mind Coach and has been with us for quite a few years. Um, Her background before that was that she was an accountant working in Calgary for some massive company. Uh, Dana, welcome. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. So was it a massive company? Did I get it right? There was a few massive companies. (laughs) So I want to start off with like you're in Calgary. Is it snowing out there? What's the weather like? It's freezing and we are windy. Oh no. Oh no. Okay. So when did we meet? How long ago was it? Where were we? What was going on at the time? Well, the first time that I saw you was at the Women in Leadership Business Conference in Niagara on the Lake. And yes, I had gone to that and I saw you speak there and about 10 minutes into your presentation, (laughs) I thought she has it all together. I (laughs) was so impressed with what you knew and you just seemed to have everything figured out. And by the end of your presentation, I thought, I want to do what she's doing. So I went up after, got your book, got you to sign it, and um, asked you, how do I become a coach? And that was the beginning of it. So That was the beginning. And so you signed up for coaching, you worked with a coach, and then you ended up coming to Toronto for what we call frame of mind coaching methods, which is learning the process of coaching. And then you went all the way through to certification. And not that long ago, I don't exactly remember when you had your three hour exam. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So one of the things that you guys need to know is that it's not easy to become a frame of mind coach. They have to go through coaching first and then, you know, two different pretty intense courses and then they have to study. And then at the end of all that, they go through a like literally a three hour written exam. And after that exam, if they have to get a minimum of an 80% to pass, and then after that, they have to go through a review process to figure out uh, how they did on their exam and, you know, what they could have improved on, and then looking at their career moving forward. So I'm just curious, like, were you shocked at that exam? Um, No, not really. I I wasn't shocked. Um, I did a lot of studying for it, though, a lot of prep work, and I took a lot of notes and talked to the other coaches. And just um, so when I went into it, there's, I mean, there's always that nervousness, but I think the nervousness is good. It keeps you on your toes. So, but um, I felt prepared, but then there's always that fear of like, oh, what if this doesn't go right? (laughs) Right, right. So, so you were in a, an accountant, basically. You were like heavily into the numbers, and suddenly, frame mind coaching comes into your life, where we're not so much about the numbers. So, explain to me the process of going from a world where you're focused on data—really, that's what numbers is—to a world where you're focused on thoughts, emotions, behaviors, that type of thing. Like, explain to me that transition. Well. It's a, it's a huge transition, especially for me, because I went from having a working for a company with set hours, set deadlines, schedules. Um, in accounting, you always have deadlines and when reports are due to 
going into basically business for myself, and I'm still trying to define what that is. So there's this complete change. And there's days where I wake up and I go, I think I'm missing something. I should be doing something. Like, what is it? Because I'm so used to the nine to five. Right. It's a transition. It's a learning experience. There's parts of it that are scary. There's parts that are exciting. But the driver behind all of this is having my goal at the end. I can see that goal. I can see what I want. And that keeps me moving forward and working towards it. So what is your goal? To be, to have flexibility. So I can choose when I work, um, when I feel like working, I will work. And when I want to go out and play golf or have fun or socialize, I have the option to do that. It's the freedom that I'm looking for. So that's a radical change in kind of your way of life. So you're working in a very structured environment. Now suddenly you're going to a completely unstructured system where you just get to decide what you want to do and when you want to do. Is there ever a part of your brain that goes, wait a minute, like maybe I should go back to structure. Maybe it's safer there. Maybe it's easier there. Maybe then I won't like have this big white canvas to create whatever I want and I'll just know what I'm supposed to be doing. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> On on bad days, it's there. And then I think, okay, if I had to get up this morning and go to work and stay there till five o'clock, do I want it? It's like, nope, nope. Right, right. I don't want it. So what did you learn through your coaching experience? Like what were the significant beliefs, ideas, you know, thoughts that were challenged in your case? The, the biggest one for me was understanding that I don't have control over the people that I work with. And sometimes they will do things that I may be interpreting incorrectly because I apply my own perception of what that person is doing. So my big issue was um, dealing with people where um, they're out to get me. You know, they want me out of the company or they're trying to belittle my efforts or make me look not important. And what I had to realize was that that isn't what they were doing at all. They were protecting themselves. And they were doing what they had to do to make themselves feel better. So I had to look at what they were doing in a different way, think about it differently, and act differently towards it. And I found once I started doing that, the working relationship became much better. So in other words, you didn't perceive their behaviors to be so much of an attack, but rather you saw that what they were doing was a means for self-preservation. Yeah. Got it. So that's very interesting, right? So when we start to look at other people's behaviors, the interpretation we give for other people's behaviors will determine not only how we react and respond, how we build that relationship, but fundamentally how we feel. So if you feel under attack, that doesn't feel so good, right? But if you start to understand, hey, they're not actually attacking me, they're just doing what they need to do so that they can feel a greater sense of peace, even though it may not be actual peace, but that's why they're going for it, then all of a sudden you feel a little bit more relaxed about their actions. You're not taking it so personally. Yes, and it was. I found it was much easier to go into meetings because I wasn't going into meetings with, um, a need where I felt I needed to be defensive. 
No armor. Right. I could right. go in there and I would go in with just, okay, I'm going to listen and I'm going to try to understand and to learn. And meetings went better and we accomplished a lot more in the meetings. So the, there was a certain point where you, did you come into coaching thinking I want to be a coach from the get-go or did you go through coaching and say, I want to learn how to do this? A combination of both. Okay. What I find is that a lot of people do come into coaching and they start to understand how powerful the coaching experience is. And not that they necessarily want to become coaches, but they want to learn how to coach so that they can become better leaders, better parents, better spouses, better business partners, etc. And so they want to learn how to coach. Again, not necessarily to become a coach or to go into a career of coaching, but to take these really, I think, essential skills and apply them in every area of your life. But it sounds like you really wanted to become a coach. Yes. <laughs> okay. So you are a coach now and you have clients. Yes. And I mean, you and I were talking for a few minutes before this call and you said, I noticed that there's a trend. I have several clients who are going through this one thing. And even though it's a little bit different, it, the theme is similar. So what is that? Career transition. Career and, transition. And some of my clients um, have gone from being in a career their entire working experience, identifying with it, and then coming into a situation where they couldn't pursue that career anymore because of, you know, family matters or needing to move. And it was like their identity was lost and who am yeah. I and yeah. am I worthwhile? So struggling with that. And then also clients who are going from owning businesses and because of circumstance, the business is sold and they're moving on to another phase in their life. And well, what's that going to look like? And how do I right. make that work? And how do I sort of move ahead with that? So that's a very, very important point is that a lot of us work and really um, become emotionally attached to what we do so much so that it becomes, it begins to define us. Right. And so our identity becomes wrapped up in who, what we do. And so, I mean, this happened to me years and years ago before I started frame of mind coaching, I was running a software company and I was doing that for 10 years. And as a result of a series of circumstances, I ended up selling my shares of that business. And then I found myself with like this big, kind of empty hole in my life because I was so attached to it. It had so much meaning for me and it really defined me in so many ways. And one of life's hardest lessons was learning. You are not your work. You are not your business. You are not one in the same. You may think that it may feel that way, but that's not the case. Yeah. You get, you gain the skill set and your knowledge that always comes with you regardless of where you go, but it isn't, that particular job or that particular company or that right. position that defines the person. So let me ask you a question. How do you help people move through that kind of transition? How do you help people refine or regain their identity? What, like, how do you work with people in that situation? One of the important things is helping them to recognize their self-worth away from their job that they are a person with skills and abilities and a personality and likes and dislikes and everything else that they're made of that is completely separate 
from the job, that they have an identity without the work that they're doing. And the other thing that um, was really helpful is getting them to look to the future, to dream big and go, here's an open canvas. What are the options? What are the opportunities? What, what can I make with this? And so it kind of forces them to be a little creative and to look beyond, um, to just open it right up and look at all the possibilities. Right. So a few interesting things along those lines is that very often when there is a transition, either if it's ahead of us or we're in the middle of that transition, a lot of times we are overcome with fear. Like, oh my God, this is unknown. I don't know where I am. It's super dark around here. I don't know where to go. I don't know who to turn to. I don't know when I look in the mirror, what is my identity? And there's like literally like a, a black space where they can't see. There's no vision. There's no clarity. There's no contrast. There's nothing. They can't see. And so one of the things that I want to do with people who are in the throes of transition is to, is to explain that super, super uh, so, uh, powerful, not powerful, successful people uh, experience transition. In fact, they experience adversity. And what they do with that adversity is they learn to leverage it, turn it into an advantage somehow, right? So this thing happened to you, whether it's you had to leave your job or you had to leave your city or your state or whatever, and you're in a new place. What is the opportunity it affords you? What can you leverage from your experience that, that can really help you thrive? And so what's required there is a dramatically different way of thinking, right? So rather than thinking, man, I'm stuck. What just happened to me? Things are terrible. I'm a victim. But to help them think in terms of like there's a, there's a possibility in front of me. And it's up to me to create that possibility and do something with it. And actually, I've been afforded an opportunity to redefine what I want and where I'm going and what my life is really about. And people get scared with that opportunity and they tend to shrink back. And our job is to help them step into that opportunity. Yeah. And one one of the things I find, too, is that a lot of times they possess a lot of skills that they haven't even recognized in themselves or don't necessarily give themselves credit for. And once you can start to identify those and they um, appreciate them and understand that they have them and realize that they are skills, then it it sometimes gives them ideas about where to go or how to use those going forward. Right, right, right. So one of the exercises we do in our coaching program is called the sweet spot exercise where we invite people to, well, we ask people to give us feedback about what is our greatest strength or what comes to us with ease. What do we do that requires absolutely no effort, which really alludes to this whole idea of like, what is our key skill? What do we come to the table with, right? What do we do that lights us up and just fuels us and that we do with, you know, no work, no sweat, no tears. What is that that we do? So when I did this exercise, I don't know how many years ago, maybe 18 years ago, I remember asking a whole bunch of people about what is it my sweet spot. And I was shocked to hear that everybody pretty much responded the same way. They all said the way you communicate. You know, one of my closest friends said, you have the ability to um, share your vision and have people come along with it. My mother said something like, you're a good talker. You know, ah, you talk a lot. You're a good talker. Were you surprised that they're I was shocked. I was shocked because I didn't know that 
my verbal communication skills made any difference at all. I didn't know that that was, that was the thing that I was leading with. I had no clue. And that discovery actually led me into this career path. It helped me understand, like, I need to be talking. I need to be communicating. I need to be interacting with people. I need to share my thoughts and my vision on things. I need to be doing that. But before that, I had no clue. I did not know that that was something I possessed at all. Yeah. And, and I find a, my clients, it's the same thing. And it, it comes so naturally to them that they don't even see it as a skill set. They just kind of go, well, everybody's like that, but they're not like everyone has something that is, is unique and that they're good at. Right. And, and to build on that is yes. what helps people to move forward. So interestingly enough, it was my birthday not that long ago. And my husband decided to ask several of our friends and relatives, like close friends who've known me for years and years and years for uh, their comment on my sweet spot. So it's changed a little bit over the years. So I'm no longer the talker. In fact, I find that over the years, I, I talk a little bit less. And so now the comment was, you know, what's, what's her sweet spot? What does she come to the table with? One is that I'm a good listener. So I do a lot of listening. I ask a lot of uh, interesting questions that cause people to think, which is aligned with being a coach. Uh, and some people said that I, that my smile, I smile and, and, th and that's what I lead with. And, uh, and one person uh, said that I'm very funny, which really, really pleased me because I think I'm one of the funniest people I know. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, but it's interesting to see how that changes over time. So you might ask everybody in your circle, what is my sweet spot? And they might give you a response, but that response might change a few years down the road, which is super interesting. And it's a function of how you're evolving, how you're growing, how you're learning. Okay. I might have to do that exercise again. A hundred percent. And the really cool thing is that my husband collated it into this hardcover book. And that was my birthday gift. And honestly, it was like the most incredible birthday gift I've ever received. Like I just hey. kept reading through this book. You know, it's good to read when other people think you're good, right? That you're, that you're special. Yeah. And, and what I discovered is that a lot of people don't know what's amazing about them. Do you find that also when you coach people? Very much so. Very much so. And, and, but I love to hear it when they send in the responses from their friends and, uh, one of my clients is going was had the um, the ability to lead, and yet she never thought of herself as a leader. Oh but God. every single one of her friends said, "You are a great leader. You can organize any event. You get everybody lined up. We all get going." So with each successive response from her friend, she'd go, "Here it is again, that leadership thing." <laughs> so, so towards the end, she went, "You know, I guess I am a leader." So it was. Like, it's nice to see that response and for people to give themselves credit and to recognize that what they're doing is actually a gift and it's, they're good at it. You know, the so. way you see yourself, the words you use to describe yourself are super important. Very, very important. So right now I'm working with one particular client and he calls himself, himself an introvert. And every time I see that word, like inside of me, I like, ooh, like I close in. And so I want to ask him the question, like, what is the benefit of being an introvert? Why are you wrapping your arms around this term? Like, what is it doing for you? How does it serve you? And so the words we use to describe ourselves 
always have some kind of benefit, even though it may not appear to be the case. So for him, being an introvert allows him to stay safe, allows him to stay in a place where he doesn't need to go and interact with people, where he doesn't need to expose himself to potential humiliation or embarrassment, where he doesn't need to face rejection. It's safer to be an introvert, right? If something's safe, we wrap our arms around it, don't we? But at the same time, that very same word prevents him from reaching his goals, prevents him from going for what he wants, prevents him from totally committing to anything because it's safer to be a little bit far, a little bit distant from that. So, you know, the sweet spot exercise allows us to see ourselves in ways that we don't necessarily consider or think of. And what I like to do is say, so here's how the world sees you. How do you see you? What are the words you use to describe yourself? And do those words actually allow you to get to where you want to go? Or do they hold you back somehow? Yes. And what's interesting is one of the things I found when working with clients is they would classify themselves as an introvert. And they classified themselves as that because they were not comfortable being in a a business networking event. Yes. Introducing themselves and talking to people. Yet, if you put them in a social situation with their friends, they were totally different. Right. So they had the skills to interact, but there was a fear at the business meeting. So they went, I'm an introvert, can't do that. Right. And, but getting over that and realizing they had the skill set moved there again, moved them ahead. So Right. It's, like, it's, it's very similar to when parents say, oh, my daughter is shy. And I think to myself, like... What does that buy her? What does that give her? What does that enable her to do? Why are we labeling our kids as shy? Does that help them? Does that empower them? Does that make them feel confident? What does that do for your kids when you call them shy? So, you know, I find that, uh, again, people hold on to terms because it creates a place of safety. So when that happens, I like to ask people, so so what's the benefit of this for you? No matter what we do, we're doing it because there's a benefit, even though there's also very often times um, something about that that doesn't serve us. So I want to always look at both sides of the coin and then help clients decide, is this the thing they want to keep holding on to or is there something better out there? Yeah. And, and like you said, with, with being shy, um, it's a label. It's a label given to a child. And right or wrong, the child can grow up going, oh, well, I am shy. I can't, I can't do this and I can't do that. So that's, that gets a little tricky, but yet being, I'm going to use introvert as a better example. If someone is an introvert, you know what? Being an introvert just means that when they're not having a good day, they have to take a time out. They time out, they re-energize and then they're ready to face the world. So it can also be a good thing to be an introvert. So there's the right. good and the bad on right. both. Well, and you know what? I look at myself and most people think of me as an extrovert. And I think, well, no, not always. Not always. I need some time on my own to refuel. But at the end of the day, I don't like categorizing myself on either of those scales. Yeah. Right? So I'm a person who loves people. And I'm a person who sometimes needs time to herself to refuel. And I'm not putting myself any labels on, on that activity, right? So no labels. Yeah. And that, actually, I'm going to, one of the, 
I remember what the first time I came to Toronto for methods. Yeah. Um, of course, we had the the full day session, and you're doing a lot of talking most of the time. Yeah. Then we get together for dinner after, and I remember you telling all of us, "I want you all to know," because there was a ton of us newbies there. Yeah. I want you all to know that when we go out for dinner, I may tend to be quiet. And it was just, that's the way I am. I talk all day, but when I go out for dinner, I'm <laughs> quiet. I'm okay. There's nothing wrong. Right. <laughs> so, right. so that's your way and, of re-energizing. In fact, in fact, a lot of people who come for training are shocked at how quiet I am. <laughs> right? They often say, wow, like you're always out there. You're always loud and energetic and, you know, like making a lot of noise. But in person, you're not actually that loud. You're kind of quiet. How do the two fit together? And it's exactly that because I'm giving all of my energy to what I do, to my coaching calls, to my podcasts, to my interviews, everything. I give everything I have. And then I need time to refuel. And that requires a little quiet, right? So that's, yeah. that's exactly right. And I so, think I think the thing that works is recognizing it and working with it so that you know what works for you. Exactly, exactly. And and that's one of the reasons I like to journal because that gives me that quiet time to reflect and refuel. Yep. Yeah, but you like to play golf. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's so relaxing though. <laughs> so one last question. So going from an accountant to a coach, What's the big difference? What's the, like, tell us about that experience, that change in orientation. Um, accounting is all numbers. It's all numbers. It's very analytical. It's, um, it's, it's a whole different world of analytics. When you're dealing with people and coaching people, there's feelings, there's emotions, there's words, there's stories, there's, it's it's limitless as to the the options that you get and the different personalities that you run into right. it. Right. Um, it's I I I enjoy it. It's just there's more of a connection with people. Yes. It's probably yes. part of it that I enjoy the most. But wouldn't you say that coaching is a little bit logical too? There's a little bit of logic involved in coaching. Yeah, uh, there is logic, but there but there's emotion and feelings yeah. attached to the logic. Yeah. That's true. Well, Dana, I am super happy that you were here to join us today. I'm thrilled to have you on the Frame Mind coaching team. It's fun to talk and just explore ideas. So I appreciate your time. I appreciate you sharing with people. Yes, thank you for having me. And if anyone's interested in learning more about coaching, please come and visit us at frameofmindcoaching.com. And right there on the front page is an opportunity to experiment with a complimentary coaching call. Try it out. See what all the fuss is about. Um, that one call will absolutely wake you up to possibilities you've never imagined for yourself ever. So please come visit us. Dana, thank you so much for spending thank this you. time with me. Mm -hmm.